0: Preaching the sermon also, okay. You do have a wonderful pastor, and he not only knows microphones, you and I, brother, have the same heartbeat for relating the gospel to where we are in the culture. I was the pastor of Chuck Colson for 20 years, and he had a mighty impact on our world and our nation. And I'm grateful that you all take the Word of God seriously, but also you have a passion for the world. I was really excited about the one more child emphasis because my wife and I, in our last mission trip, took 15 to Cape Town, South Africa with one more child. We have taken three of our grandchildren, two of our daughters, and hundreds of people from Naples to Colombia and to South Africa and other places. That's a marvelous ministry. And I commend you for wanting to partner with them. I need to ask your prayer. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I almost died. I contracted COVID and double lober pneumonia. I was in the hospital 45 days and in rehab facility for two more weeks after that. I was close to death. As a matter of fact, the doctor had told my wife to make end-of-life plans, that he had done all that he could do. And yet God's people were praying for me. And the power of prayer, because of the Holy Spirit, moved so mightily in my heart that I had a spiritual revival in the hospital, as close to death as you can get. And on the day that the nurse got in my face and said, Mr. Wicker, if you want to live, you've got to fight. And she said, we're just seconds away from intubating you, and you don't want to be on a respirator. And I fought, but at the same time, people were praying for me. And God brought a scripture to my heart at that time. It was Psalm 118:17. 17. I really didn't know where it was found. I knew it was in the Psalms. But it took several more times for God to speak to me to get through my hard head that he had a plan for my life. Not my death, but my life. And the word said, I will not die but live and tell the works of the Lord. And so I want you to pray for me. I'm still having coughing and some voice problems. But it's amazing how God's grace is sufficient every time I tell the works of the Lord. Now I want you to take your Bible, and uh, we, you've been so gracious and patient here. Thank you, Conrad. Uh, you've been so gracious to uh, sit through the program and listen carefully, but I believe the Word of God has a message to us as a church and to individuals. Turn with me to 2 Kings, chapter seven verses three through 11. 2 Kings 7, 3-11, through 11, and realize that God has always been in the business of telling of his works through his people. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most unusual stories of missions and evangelism in the entire Bible. I believe in being like the people of the Old Testament when the Jews stood at the reading of God's inherent word. Would you stand To honor his word and would you read with me from your copy of the scripture just read silently and i'm reading out loud from the new american standard version updated second kings seven verse three now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another why do we sit here until we die If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariot and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come against us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys even the camp just as it was and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from their silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And that's exactly what they did. You may be seated. Now, this, frankly, is like that day. It is a day of bad news. Woefully, bad news at every turn of the dial on Fox News. Every time we pick up a newspaper, bad news. But imagine Samaria Samaria and the Israelites were under siege by Ben-Hadad II, the king of the Syrians, also called Arameans. And it was a horrible time. Uh, It was a time when they faced annihilation from a powerful enemy. I think about how the Ukraine right now is being attacked by the Russians and that evil madman Putin. And they are under threat of annihilation. My wife has done ministry with the missions program from our church in the Ukraine. And uh, on several occasions has taught the pastor's wives there in Lviv. There was also the destruction of the economy. Does that sound familiar to you? Look at inflation of the worst kind. It costs two pounds of silver for a donkey's head to eat. It costs two ounces of silver for dove dung to eat. Imagine that. And there was cannibalism all through that city at that time. They were eating every horse they could find as well. But then there was a reaction by God against the king himself. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. King Joram was so outside the will of God, he was such a hypocrite, He actually tore his clothes as if he was repenting, but he was not. He had a religious facade. He even parroted his mother's threat of Elijah earlier when she said he is the troubler of Israel. And now Elisha the prophet has come forth and Joram says the same words about Elisha and called him the troublemaker of Israel and threatens to behead him. You can't get much worse, but then one of his chief officials ridicules the man of God. And so this was a bad situation. They were facing an enemy that was too strong and an economy that was far gone. They resisted the man of God, but the Lord was still at work. And I believe that He is still at work in our our nation and in our world. This is a day of good news. Now, wonderfully, this day of good news is particularly because God chooses to use, now listen to this, the usable and the unusual. And I want to share with you how that happens. God has a plan for you. And for me. Now, God uses the usable and the unusual who understand that they're sinners. These lepers were under condemnation. As a matter of fact, leprosy was seen as the curse of God upon these people. Now, I'm not saying that, but that's what they believed in that day. They cried out unclean wherever they went, they could be stoned if they came too close. It was seen as the curse of God. And yet all of us today are lepers. All of us have broken God's law in one way or another. They were sitting at the gate, and the gate was the place where the law was administered. They were under the law. They were sinners. They were separated from God, and you and I know that our sins have separated us from our God. We're all in need of forgiveness. One of the most important insights that we can have about missions is that all nations are lost. One liberal said, leave the happy heathen alone. But we cannot because the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all people. They are all lost. Now, in Romans chapter 1, it indicates that we're lost because within ourselves, we are aware that there is a God. We know with our conscience when there's something right and something wrong. We see in nature the power and the hand of God. And Romans 1 says, all are without excuse. Because our futile hearts are darkened in our understanding, the Lord somehow put us right smack dab in a mission field where we live. We live right on the border now, not in Florida. We're in the far country. We live on the border of North Carolina and South Carolina. And I only know a handful of American-born people in my neighborhood. Everybody around me are Indians. And I live in a place called Indian land. Now that's not the Catawba Indians anymore. They're from India. And they worship 330 million gods. And they have no idea who the living true God is. It's a mission field. And they're lost as well. But here God also uses the usable those who are willing to be in God's hand and who are unusual when they choose wisely. Now we're looking at four lepers here. And they realize they're they're not able to be in the city. They're outcast, right? And so outside the gate, they're starving with the famine inside and the blockade that the Arameans have put up. And they say if we go inside, they'll either stone us or we'll die of hunger there. Or if we go to the enemy, we could be killed there. If we stay here where we are, we are sure to die. And so they reasoned and made a choice. This is so important. Our great creator created us in his image. That's what Genesis says. Made in the image of God. The image... Was not erased but effaced. Mankind fell into sin, all mankind. And yet, we still, in the image of God, have freedom of choice and will. Now, let that sink in. Every person, even though we have disabling depravity, even though we have a nature of sin, we still make a choice. That's why the Bible says that though God is sovereign there is also human responsibility. Whosoever will who will take of the water of life freely the Bible says the invitation is there to choose God. But Jesus said you are unwilling to come to me that you might have eternal life. We're not robots. You see if you're free to choose God you're also free to reject God and therefore most people choose not to follow him and believe in him but we still have a choice just like those lepers I was reading in 1st Corinthians one day and all of a sudden I was shocked to read in 1st Corinthians 737 though a man is talking about his virgin daughter And Paul is talking about this. He made the most profound statement of human free will. He said that you are not under constraint. You have authority over your own will. And you decide in your heart to stand firm on what you know is right. That is an amazing revelation to me. And yet God says you can come Or you can refuse. I offer the free gift to all. And the lepers do. We have a choice. And with that, even though their minds were uh, clouded by sin, their bodies were broken with leprosy, they were with rotted limbs walking and even talking, their faces were sunken cavities, they still made a choice. In 1829, George Wilson was sentenced to be hanged for the cause of murder, and yet President Andrew Jackson pardoned him, but Wilson refused the pardon. Now, this is true. This is history. They didn't know what to do with George Wilson, and so it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and finally, the rending Uh, Rendering was by Chief Justice John Marshall, who wrote that a pardon is a piece of paper, but it is only powerful if it is accepted by the person implicated. And if he refuses the pardon, then it is no pardon at all, he wrote. Jesus has died for the sins of the whole world. He has paid the ransom price to set us free from slavery of sin. But we have to choose it and believe. But then God uses the usable and the unusual who are willing to take the first step. With blind faith, they knew they had to step out. They said, let us go. And they made the decision, casting all Uh, Everything aside to walk to the enemy camp. It's an amazing thing they did. They could have been stoned within 50 yards of someone. They could have been shot through with arrows or run through with spears. But they walked toward the enemy camp. The gospel is summed up in the simple word, come. Come to me, Jesus said. Whosoever will. May come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. I think one of the most powerful, moving invitation songs or any hymn in all the world is Just As I Am. Every time I hear it, I think of going to a Billy Graham crusade. I think of how I was a lost kid at a Graham crusade. I went forward, but I still wasn't led to Christ, but I began. To be, I was captivated by this godly man and by his words, the Bible says. And I began to read the Bible for the first time. And in that search found Jesus Christ. I got to tell Billy Graham that when I led in prayer to crusade, and every time I hear just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And we come to the light. Every person around the world is one step away from new life. They are one word away from calling on the name of the Lord. They may be one decision away from discipleship with Jesus Christ, but we still have to take that first step. And then God uses the usable and the unusual who trust that God is working even when they can't see it. This is the most amazing thing. God was doing an auditory miracle. It was a hallucination that the Arameans believed was reality. God did a miracle of sight in another place in this storyline of Elisha. But now, listen to this, they think... They are hearing the horses and chariots and troops of mercenaries from the Hittites and the Egyptians. And in fear, they leave everything behind and run for their lives, thinking they are hearing reality. the, The lepers didn't know that. They entered the camp. They couldn't figure this out. Where is everybody? That Happy Meal hadn't even been opened. And they eat and eat and eat, they eat their fill, uh, they take the treasures, they take what food they can carry, and they go hide it somewhere, and they go right back and start the party all over again. God was doing a work, though they didn't even see it or know it. Our God is at work. Jesus said in John 5:17, one of my favorite verses, my father is always working and I am working jesus said when i went to naples it, it was really a, in a bad situation they were uh, torn between two factions they had a run-down building it rained and the water leaked all over the roof into the worship center and yet god said look i'm going to raise up a lighthouse here and I kept saying, God is at work. And I said, let's do God's sightings. And whenever we saw God at work, we reported it and shared it. And saw the Lord at work more and more. As a matter of fact, we said about Naples what God said in the book of Acts to Paul. Acts 18.10, I have many people in this city. And the Lord says, as He looks at this area, I have many people in Geneva that you don't even know about. I'm working in His heart. I'm working in her heart. I'm drawing this person to myself. You can't see it or know it, but we need to get in on what He's up to. God is already doing His part, but we take that first step. We need to recognize in faith that He is at work. I I sense, Pastor, the hand of God on this church. I I don't sense this is a dead church. I don't sense that you're complacent about your community. But God says, listen, trust me that I'm working. I was on a prayer retreat to Bonita Beach. I was rather discouraged at that moment. You you stay at a church 27 years, you're going to go through all kinds of ups and downs. And that night, as I was at the beach just praying, I looked out and I saw the lighthouse on Sanibel Island. It's crossed from Fort Myers. And God spoke to me through that lighthouse. We had said the lighthouse was to be the symbol of our ministry. And as I looked, I saw that light go around and disappear. It came back again and disappeared. Darkness and then light and then darkness and again light. And the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me, that's how I'm working. You can't see it, but I'm shining over there when you think it's dark. And then I'm shining here and it may seem dark over there. God is shining right now. I can tell you right now, because of our relationship with Ukraine, there are many, many godly people, many ministries. Some of the people in our church down there have built a Christian camp in Ukraine, in the north region. And they have now turned that into an assembly area to take people over to Poland. They even went and bought as many vehicles as they could find and pay for to load people up. And they meet and they take them there. The seminary, the Baptist seminary in Lviv is doing the same thing. And now they're being shelled by the Russians. But I'm praying that God's hand will be on those godly people. That He will protect them as He chooses. He's at work. And then God uses This is wonderful. The usable and the unusual who know that this is the day to share his treasure. This is the day of good news. When I was in the hospital, the Lord brought this whole Psalm 118 to me once I could read the Bible. It took me three weeks to have enough strength to hold a copy and then Uh, a little bit longer to be able to open my eyes and not have blinding headaches to read the scripture and the first thing I did was find that Psalm 118 and in that wonderful Psalm verse 24 it says this is the day the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it you know that verse don't you And you've quoted that, and you wake up in the morning, and man, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day. And you just are so happy. Your coffee's ready. Your happy meal is right, whatever you're eating. And you say, man, I rejoice. I'm so glad for this day. But did you know this? The word day there means the hottest part of the day the most difficult part of the day. This is the day the Lord has made. He's put you in the furnace. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And I thought, God, you've put me in a hot place. I've been on the hot spot and you've been burning away the impurities in my life, but that's exactly the way it is right now. It's, It's a hot day all over the world. But it's also the day of good news. And we rejoice and share in giving the treasure. And then God uses the usable and the unusual who work as a team. The four lepers together said, let us go. And then they said, let us go and tell this good news. We cannot stay silent. It's an us And God uses all the us's in his family as his team. In that wonderful story where uh, Jesus gave the miraculous catch of fish to the disciples in Luke chapter 5. And their nets were about to break. And the word says they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. Luke 5, 6, and 7. Now, that word signal means they, they motion to them to come and help. And then the idea was, in, in the original language, to take hold together with. Come, now let, let me read it again, come and help us is literally come and take hold together with us and therefore help us it's essentially the same wording as the missionary vision to paul come and help us in going to europe come together take hold with a mission calling and i would dare to say with our cooperative program as southern baptist we have battled the issue of convention stuff for years And some say, well, I'm going to support an individual missionary. Why not do that and the cooperative program? We had kingdom mission partners, like One More Child and other things. And then we had the cooperative program and did not diminish our giving through the Southern Baptist Convention. But let's work as a team. Let us go together. And then God uses, and I'm almost through here, the unusual who are willing to give up their baggage and their brokenness. Remember, these are lepers. And they were the most unlikely, unusual people to tell the good news. As a matter of fact, when they went to the gatekeeper of Israel, uh, he took it to the king. I mean, they were skeptical of them. Who wouldn't be? For lepers very testimony but God uses those of us who have baggage he uses the unusual who have maybe past backgrounds that are not very well let's say acceptable you may have a criminal background you may have been through a divorce you may have uh, been a bad person and you still have some r-rated language God wants to use you. Let me give you two examples. When I was in Oklahoma, on our baptism committee was a man named Boyd Jackson, a pharmacist. He was the most sour deacon I've ever been around in my life. He walked into a room and turned the lights out. And of all things, he's on the baptism committee which was kind of a first impression with new believers, and we were seeing just hundreds of people come to Christ. And so here's Boyd, and as I walked up to the baptistry to baptize, I re- Boyd was in a he was in a furious mood because of Crazy Gary. Now Crazy Gary was a young single guy who had just been saved. And he was so excited in the welcome time, he would climb over the pews to greet people. Can you get that picture? And of course, he wanted to be baptized. And when Boyd got up there, Gary was pouring goldfish into the baptistry. Crazy Gary. And, and, and Boyd was so mad, he, he didn't want uh, Gary to be baptized, he didn't think he was worthy of being baptized, and yet we went ahead. But Boyd went to a crusade down in Dell City, and Bailey Smith was the evangelist. And Bailey preached this famous message that he was known for, and Boyd realized for the first time in his life he was lost. He was a lost deacon. And gave his heart to Christ and was truly born again. And he came back to Enid where we live. And he was a happy man. The joy of the Lord. And not long after that, we went on a mission trip to Haiti. And I, t- I took Boyd and I thought, oh God, please don't let him backslide. He'll, he'll put a wet blanket on everybody here. But he got stronger and happier, and he came back and he said, God has called me to the mission field. And he went with the IMB as a missionary, pharmacist, to, of all places, Yemen. And later, some of his co-workers were murdered. And thank God, Boyd was not there at that time. But a Muslim extremist came in and murdered some of our missionaries. He served for years in Yemen. His son also served as a missionary. Thank God. I think back when I first went to Naples, God had given me a heart for jail ministry. Uh, Not only because of Chuck Colson. And I I had an impression to ask Bob Byer to have lunch with me and talk about jail ministry. Bob was a really big guy. I had no idea of his background. And when I started talking to him, he said, he said, Pastor, they won't even let me in the jail. I said, why? He said, you don't know this, but he said, I was an enforcer for the mob in New York City. I was a made man. As a matter of fact, they don't know I'm here. And you know what? He was the perfect guy for the jail ministry. And for 20 some odd years, God used Bob Beyer to grow our jail ministry. And yes, he had a record. I didn't even want to ask him about his past. I'm serious. But we saw that jail ministry explode because God used him. You know, the Bible says that where the strength of the oxen is, there will be the revenue of harvest. But it also says, where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. Well, we have a lot of clean churches right now that are stalls that they, are, they look good, they're clean, they're shiny, they're in order, but there's no oxen and there's no harvest. We need to allow the stall to get dirty. To have some of those bikers come in and know Christ. Some of the drug dealers. Some of the prostitutes. Some of those women who are fleeing from, uh, as, as she said, the trafficking problem. We need to be open to all people. The mission field is here. And God uses every one of us lepers. Let me finish here. God uses, let me give you two other instances. God uses the usable and the unusual who have enjoyed his feast. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you get filled with the Spirit and you love and know the Lord, you realize God has given you something that must be shared. And I believe that you're like that. I went to Switzerland once on a trip to International Conference of Revival, and they let us go to a chocolate factory, and they said, we'll give you five minutes to eat as much as you want. I thought an angel spoke in German at that moment. And I stuffed myself for five minutes of every kind of chocolate I could eat. And then I was sick of chocolate. But you see, with the Christian life, you don't have the law of diminishing returns. The more you get, the more you want of Jesus. You don't want to hoard him, though. You want as many as possible to enjoy his feast. And that's why, lastly, the usable and the unusual are compelled to tell the good news. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard, Paul said? How will they hear without a proclaimer? I so resent People today quote St. Francis of Assisi, who said, Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. You have to live the Christian life, but you cannot preach the gospel without preaching the gospel, right. without telling the works of the Lord, without declaring the gospel plan of salvation. And it begins right here. How can we be a mission minded church? We're not doing right if we don't tell it. Paul said we are entrusted with the gospel in Galatians 2.7 and that word entrust was an official term for a permanent commission to be the Roman imperial secretary. He was the man chosen to record every single word that Caesar spoke. It was a lifetime commission unless he really messed up. And Paul said, we have this entrusting by Jesus, the great commission. The great commission to go and tell the good news. The good news of great joy, which shall be to all people that great Christmas declaration is. Are you willing, let me tell you, here's some, some things to do. Are you willing to pray for your church, that you will be an extraordinary mission-minded church. Not just any typical church, but an extraordinary church. Not just run-of-the-mill, but a mighty mission-sending church and mission-supporting church that touches the world from Geneva, Florida. Secondly, are you willing to tell anybody that God leads you to the good news of Jesus Christ. You do not write if you do not share. And third, are you willing to pray that God will raise up out of this church ministries and missions that will touch the world? Like Bob Beyer. Like Boyd Jackson, the pharmacist. And I could give you name after name of people that I've known in my ministry that God raised up and took that farmer and then sent him to be an ag missionary. And that golf pro that God sent out into the world of athletics to share the word. And that doctor who was called to go to a foreign country to take the healing message of the gospel. Are you willing to do whatever God calls you to do? And then lastly, will you pray about your next door neighbor and the people you know that need Jesus? They're starving and need your feast. When I was a seminary student, I was driving home from preaching in a little country church outside of Atoka, Oklahoma. It was a little church, had a pot-bellied stove in it, and that's where the old fellows while I was preaching, they'd open the stove up and spit in it with their chew. And as I was driving from Sherman through by Sadler on the way back to Fort Worth, there was a barn on fire. I pulled over. The house was dark, but the fire was raging in this barn behind the house. I ran up to the door. I banged on the door. Yeah, what is it? I kept banging on the door. And finally, the the rancher woke up. And he said from inside the door, Yeah, who is it? And I said, it doesn't matter who I am. Your barn is on fire. What? Your barn is on fire. And he opened the door. What? What? told him again and he and I rushed out to that barn we were able to save one horse and that was all what if I just kept driving sure you say it's just a barn but the world is on fire but this is the day the Lord has made the day of good news Let's pray. God, we find ourselves sometimes afraid of the flame, afraid of the danger or the inconvenience or to get out of our comfort zone. But oh God, lay the world on our heart. The world's on fire. And you've called us to warn And tell them the good news. But also to tell them that they've sinned. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that hasn't trusted you as Lord and Savior, oh God, save them. Move on them to make that choice to take the first step. And to believe in you. Lord, you will forgive and you will change. And make us new. God, show us, tell us whatever you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that our brother just play briefly. I want you to stand.